Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Under the Shell, presented by Terrapin Sports Central. Here on episode 11, we have a very special interview with Steve Suter, former Maryland football player, who shared some interesting facts with us about his football career. After that, we'll discuss basketball, wrestling, and where Maryland will be going bowling. We're hitting the lanes, guys. I'm one of your co-hosts, Kevin Ireland, and I'm here joined by... Sam Jane. Brendan Wysel. Michael Big Mike Howes. All right, let's pop into the uh, interview. Our next guest is a former two-time All-ACC wide receiver and return specialist from Maryland. He holds multiple return records in the ACC, including career punt return touchdowns and yards, and single-season punt returns and yards. You can find him calling color commentary for Terps Football with Johnny Holiday now. Give it up for Steve Suter. Thank you, Steve, for joining us. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. All right, just to start it off for the listeners of this show, can you kind of explain what your football journey has been like? Wow, my football journey. So let's start this as being a undersized, under-recruited high school athlete in Carroll County. You don't get much play out in Carroll County. And I was at a school called North Carroll. We didn't win many games. So it's not like the coaches were knocking on my door. My father and I, put together a highlight tape and we sent it out to, I don't know, 30 colleges, let's call it 30. And it was VHS, VHS, we're like recording, we're dubbing, we're trying to just get my name out there because nobody's coming to watch a two and eight North Carolina high school team play, even though there may be a good player there and myself. So we sent out a bunch of highlight tapes to everybody. We get a couple of nibbles, we get a couple of letters, from colleges, Boston College, Penn State, sent me letters, but it's just letters. It's not really a whole lot of interest. And then we sent one to Maryland. Now, Maryland, this, I mean, this is a good question because this, this is a good story, that Maryland had a junior combine is what they called it. If you were a junior in the state of Maryland in high school football, you would come to Maryland on their junior day. Everybody would come, and you would do a 40 yard dash, a 40 inch vertical, and then a bench press. I believe I was doing, I'm not sure what it was. Maybe it was 185 pounds, your bench. And it was like a mini combine, right? So there's 500 kids. I got the fastest 40 and I got the fast, I got the highest vertical leap. And I'm, I'm right in there with the 185 pound bench press. But Scott Chadwick, who used to be the Maryland's general manager of recruiting this past season was my sophomore year assistant coach. Okay. So he knew me as a sophomore in high school. He goes on to become a coach at Bowie. And from there, he's talking to coach Loxley, who was a running backs coach at the time at Maryland saying, Hey, you might want to come out here and watch this kid Suter run. Cause I know him and he's pretty fast. So coach Loxley comes out to the combine hand times me. I run like a 4-4-1 or a 4-4-2 or whatever it is. He's very impressed. He comes over to me on the side and says, hey, you need to send us a tape. And I said, hey, I sent you a tape six months ago. Who knows where it is? So they go back in the closet. They find it. They dig it up. They read suitors tape. They watch it. And boom, the rest is history. They sent it to Coach Vandalin at the time, who was the head coach. He watched the tape. He liked what he saw. They called my dad at the time and said, hey, we want to offer him a scholarship. Boom. That's how I got to Maryland. 
So it's it's kind of a wild ride. It wasn't like coaches were coming to see me play in person. It was all via me trying to recruit myself because this is way before huddle. I don't know if you're familiar with huddle, but huddles everywhere. It's so easy for coaches just to log in and watch kids highlights and watch kids games right now. That was not the case for me. You had to self-recruit yourself if you were at a small area and you weren't winning state championships, you had to do it yourself. So we, my, my father and I did it, got ourselves on the Maryland's map and then, and then they liked what they saw when they saw the tape and they gave me a scholarship. So that's how I got to Maryland. And then when you got to Maryland, you transferred positions. So you said you were running back in high school. Then you moved to wide receiver. Was that difficult, like switching positions? Or was it easier than you thought it would be? Yeah, so that was – that's a great recruiting tool for Coach Loxley. He was honest with me. He said, hey, look, I know you're running back in high school. We're probably going to bring you in as an athlete because we don't know. You're going to you're, you're gonna try out a corner. You're going to try out at receiver. And we'll, we know that you have a little background at running back. So that was the thing. I came into Maryland. I didn't know what position I was going to play. I thought maybe I was going to be a corner at first, but that didn't work. I went to a wire. I excuse me. I went to their camp when I was a senior. Going into my freshman year, I played corner at their camp. So maybe they didn't like what they saw at me at corner because when I got into camp, they were just put me at immediately at receiver. But all right, let's just figure out this receiver thing. So I think that's what propelled me to be good at returning because I've, I've always been a running back at heart. I, I, I want the ball in my hands and then let my speed and my strength and balance take over. Let's see what happens. So that's why I think pump returning and kick returning was such a good deal for me is because of that, my running back background. Now, I love playing receiver. I wish I would have got to play some type of running back at Maryland, whether it be on third downs and the scat back and throw me out, give me some swing screens and that kind of thing. But I was a little, I was a little bit too ahead of my time. I think the spread offense, I would have been, God, I would have been such a good spread offense running back, but we weren't running those back in that time. So it is what it is. But we had a good time. So you talk about obviously like the special teams um, and kind of the running back background, you get to become a returner. Did you have any of that experience coming into college, like in high school? Did you really just develop over time as a returner at Maryland? No, yeah, I, I always did returning when I was in high school. I, I was the punt returner. I was a kick returner. I was the kicker. I mean, it's the same as most kids. Just that, the athlete. Right. That get recruited to go to D1. You're, you're doing everything. And I was doing everything in high school. So none of that was new to me. I actually, I held in high school too, right? I'm not the kicker, but I'm holding. So it's crazy. I actually was the holder at Maryland. My first, my red shirt freshman year, I'm the holder for Nick Novak, who was the kicker. I held his first points ever. This is, right, this is funny, right? So I'm a holder. Kickers are quirky. Novak, you're, you're, a, little, you're a little quirky um, if you see this, right? But he was actually one of the more normal kickers I've ever come across. But that's still a quirky kicker. So if we would be in practice and I'm holding a kick for Nick and he missed it or something, he would look down at me and I'd look up at him like, bro, that was a good hold. Don't look at me. You missed that. Right. So my point is, it was so stressful holding because catching the snap is stressful. Getting the laces right is stressful. Got to lean the ball a little bit like Novak wanted the ball tilted in towards me like six degrees, whatever his number was, but it, you just like had to practice it, right? 
So it was crazy stressful. So I held his, I hold his first points that he's ever kicked. We're at Wake Forest. I get it. We're holding. Boom. And this is, I'm not playing. I'm only the holder. Well, the next year I become the kick returner and now I'm playing and the punt returner. And now I'm playing a little bit more on offense. And I went right to the coach, Rosleski, the special teams guy said, you got to take me off holding, man. I can't, I can't handle it anymore. The stress is crazy. You got to get somebody that's dedicated to that because I'm not dedicated to it. I'm, I'm handling punt return, kick return, wide receiver duties. And I can't be stressing over Novak thinking I had a bad hold or not. I just can't do it. So that was a meeting I had with him, the coach personally, and they made the switch. And I was like, thank gosh. Now Nick can't yell at me anymore. Well, I'll take no offense to those uh, kicker comments as a former kicker myself, but um, <laughs> yeah, we re- we read somewhere that you never caught a fair ball in college. Is that right? And if so, like, is there a reason for that? Like, you always just had confidence that you can get maybe a couple extra yards rather than just take the field position where it was. Yeah, so that's probably I'm glad. I mean, that's my favorite. It's a not. It, you could call it a record, but it's not a record. It's an unofficial record, but that's my favorite one. I never caught a fair catch in my college career. It started my redshirt sophomore year when I became the returner. They had a halo rule. So you couldn't just like just crush a, a returner at the time. You had to give them a two yard or one yard cushion or whatever they would call it. So I was like, I'm never fair enough calling. I'm never going to call for a fair catch this season. There's no point. I'm going to catch it and fall forward for a yard or whatever. So that went. So I set the record, I think, for NCAA returns in a season with with like 58 or whatever the number was because I just never fair caught one. It just didn't make sense in my brain. And I took a couple shots for it, but none, no like crushing blows because you couldn't do it. It would be a penalty on you. So I just let that go. So the following season, they took that halo rule out. So my internal pride or, or lack of brain cells kicked in, and I was saying, hey, I didn't fair catch a punt the whole last season because of this halo rule. Now they took it away. What am I going to look like if I fair catch them now? I thought I would look like a chump. I didn't want to be a chump. I was like, I'm not doing it. So my, my whole junior year, I don't fair catch any punts. And I'm getting tattooed, but nobody's, uh, I would say nobody on the staff has said, you need to adjust this and you need a fair catch because I, ha- I haven't lost any punts. Yes, I'm getting crushed, but I'm not fumbling them. So we're good. And I'm catching them and then we're moving. And I thought it was a benefit to my punt return team as a whole, because they knew I'm fair. I'm not fair catching it. So every time we, we're returning a punt, block your butts off because I'm catching it. Let's try to score. And I think that's something that gets lost right now in this year, especially because there's, you can fair catch kickoffs. You can fair catch punts like nothing. And I think guys on those teams don't try as hard every time because they assume it's going to be a fair catch or they assume it's going out of the end zone. Well, that wasn't the case with me. I'm not fair catching it. My, my guys know it. So go hard because I'm going hard. And then the funny part of that is senior season now. Granted, I've had a great return career my sophomore season. 
Then I had a great one my junior season. Nobody's kicking me the ball anymore. My senior season, I go in, still nobody's kicking me the ball anymore. NC State at home, they're backed up in their own end zone. There's like 12 seconds left in a half, and they're about to punt. And my return coach says, Suter, you got to go out and fair catch this because if the time runs out and I fair catch it, we get one untimed down. It's called a free kick, and you can just maybe Novak gets a shot at like a 60-yard field goal, and we get a free three points. Well, I'm pissed because I'm like, oh, my gosh. I've gone two and a half seasons, almost three, never fair catching the ball, and now I got to go out here. And I'm not going to not do it because my coach is telling me to do it but I'm pissed and I go out there, it's fourth down, they kick it and they shank it out of bounds. I'm like, <laughs> so I didn't have to fair catch it. And the streak is intact. Never fair caught a punt. I mean, you must've been back there just absolutely praying that he kicked it out of bounds. Oh, right. I was, I, I don't even know what I was thinking right now. I just knew I was so pissed because I was like, I cannot not say now that I never fair caught. If I have to go out and fair catch this ball, regardless if it's a free kicker situation or not, I cannot not say I've never fair caught a punt. I was so mad. But when he kicked it out of bounds, I was I was pretty relieved. And that was a that's a selfish moment for me for sure. But it was a something I took pride in. I think the team took pride in it behind me. So it wasn't just something that was all about me in that sense. Man, but I was I was about to be devastated. Luckily, I wasn't. It was just meant to be, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Got to be. <clears throat> like, you got a lot of records. That's got to be up there in terms of one of the better ones you get to hold, man. Number it's one. Number one. It's number one. And you know why it's number one? Because I also averaged 10 yards of return. That's And that's a pop for one, two sometimes. That's special. Never fair caught. I got, I got hit for zeros left <laughs> and right. Like, catch, boom. Catch boom, and I still averaged ten yards of return. So that one, if you if you couple that with never fair catching and still averaging ten yards of return, that's my favorite two records combined. The TDs are great, yes. The yards are great, but it's all because I think my mentality was just different than anybody's ever been back there. Mm-hmm. Like, think about that. Nobody, nobody does that's this right. fair catch. It. Nobody. That's like kind of what I was going to ask is like you see now today and you talked you talked briefly on it is, you know, with the rules implemented, it's kind of designed to take away the idea of, you know, like the, the return game, especially in kickoff because of the injury risk and things among that nature. Um, and you see a lot of guys just go with the hands up and let it go out or fair catch it inside their 20 because they don't want, you know, that type of risk. What do you, you know, you, you played, obviously, you said you got popped a couple of times. How do you couple the idea of, well, special teams is still such an important aspect and like you hate to see that go, I'm sure in terms of as a former returner yourself, but also understanding like the health and the injury risk. And, and do you understand why they're trying to remove it? Like how do you contrast those two? Would you say? Yes. Yeah, so it's a, it's really well put. And as a returner, it's hard for me to, I hundred percent get it because I'm a rational adult and I understand that, that, that play has a lot of injury potential. Correct. But I also look at players like myself who, if you wanted to make something of yourself and then maybe have a chance to go into the next level, 
the return game was where I was going to make my money. That's where I was going to go to the NFL. That's where I, I played in the CFL and, and made the team because of my return ability. So to take a roster spot from somebody essentially because you're taking the return game out, that hurts my heart because I think it's very impactful. It's, it could be the most impactful play of a game, a return touchdown, whether it's a punt or a kickoff return, it's crazy. It'll, it's the tone can flip, the momentum flips, everything shifts. So it's such a big play in the game. But yes, I've seen countless of returns that I was part of where guys got knocked unconscious on kickoff return, they're wedge busters, or they're trying to stop the wedge bust and boom, lights out. And shamefully watching that back in the day, I know we would chuckle on it. We rewind it, be like, yo, dude got rocked. Dude's got his bell rung and you would rewind it and you'd show the clip and you'd see the guy get knocked out. So being naive and young at that point, you'd laugh about it. But now, you know, as an older adult, I would understand like that is a play that clearly is unsafe for let's call it eight of the 11 people on the field. So I get why they're trying to minimize that. Now that is more on the kickoff return side. Now the pump return side, that stuff hasn't changed. So, but you still see all that fair catching and that just, that just wasn't happening for me. We weren't going to do that. Even your punt safe. You got, I don't know if you're familiar with punt safe where it's like fourth and two, the guys are on the 50 yard line and we don't even have a return set up. I'm still not fair catching it. I'm just not going to do it. So that was my mentality. Luckily, I never lost any. And I feel bad for the returns now that can make an impact, but I don't know. I can't, I can't change the rules. I see dudes like fair catching inside the five. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, let it yeah, go. What are you doing there? What are you doing there? <laughs> but that's like, you talked about, you answered my next question kind of in terms of the roster. And a lot of times with coaches now, you see, like, at least in college, like, Nick Saban is notorious for putting, like, guys who are first-round picks on special teams. And he talks about how it breeds, like, a certain mentality of, like, just gaining, like, the aspect of team knowledge and not necessarily, you know, for a wide receiver catching a bunch of balls. Do you think there, you know, that there, then there's the, the differing perspectives? Like, I remember last year, Michigan's number one receiver tore his ACL on a punt return and people were enraged. Like, why is he on special teams? This is like where, so how do you feel about that? Like putting a guy who's established himself on one or two sides of the ball on special teams, do you get like maybe a little bit like we should try somebody specifically for that role or do you see the value of putting somebody like that on, on special teams? I'm probably on the ladder saying I don't agree with it. And I would say if I'm going to look specifically at Maryland this year, like Raheem Jarrett was on the punt team. I'm not saying I, I, I don't think I agree with that. I don't think he should have been covering kicks. I get why he would cover kicks because you can get off. He's a receiver. He's used to getting off a jam. So he's not going to get blocked and he'll probably be down there ready to make a tackle. And I can understand why Raheem would go to the head coach or the special team coach and say, Hey, I want to be on those teams because you want to have the more yourself on film the most to try to get to the NFL. You're trying to get to the league. You want to be a, and let's use Jared, for example, right? You want to be a great slot receiver, but what else can you do? Because there's going to be 
30 great slot receivers that are going in the draft. So what else can you, how do you separate yourself? I'm going to be a great slot receiver. And then you're going to see me on tape. I'm going to go cover punts and make tackles. I get it. Boom. Your stock rises. So I can understand why that would happen. Now, for a program like Maryland, I would say that's not the best idea at this time. If you get the depth at the positions that you're looking for recruiting-wise, then yes, down the road, maybe it would be. Use Alabama as an example. Well, okay, if that guy gets a five-star hurt, another five-star is coming in. So it's not the same. The programs aren't the same. So I get that aspect of Nick Saban being able to try to say, hey, if y'all don't want to play special teams, you're not going to play because that he's taking a NFL mentality. You're If you're in the NFL and you got guys trying to make the team, across the board, all the coaches say, if y'all can't play special teams, you're not going to make this team because we got, you know, you got the Michael Thomas or you got the Mike Evans or you got the Pro Bowl receivers already in line. You're not going to come unseat those guys. What are you going to do? You need to make plays on special teams. So I think that's the mentality that, Nick Saban tried to implement in Alabama, saying, You're, we're gonna, we are an NFL program in a sense. You have to play special teams, or we want you to play special teams. Our best athletes are gonna play, but they got, they got 40 deep Beth athletes, right? So it's different. But I like the mindset. I would love to see Maryland get into a position where you could put Rakeem Jarrett on punt team, and if he gets hurt, making a tackle. And then the blogs go crazy saying, why was he on there? I'm like, okay, no big deal. Cause Octavian Smith is just as good. And now he's playing. So that's where Loxie wants to get to. And I get it and I applaud it. I would probably wait a couple seasons till we get that depth and then you can do that. But that's where, that's where it is. Were you ever on the receiving end of those um, injuries on special teams? I read that you had a couple of knee injuries. Was that because of returning? Uh, in-game injuries? Actually, I don't think I had any in-game injuries in college. I had four knee surgeries. I tore my meniscus four times, two twice on each knee. So I, I tore it, then I tore it, then I tore it, then I tore it. I I fractured his finger. I got surgery on his finger. I broke my hand. I think I dislocated my shoulder, but none of them were game related. Honestly, these are all practice. These are all practice. I did them in practice. It, I mean, here's a funny story. So I'm playing basketball on a spring break. This is my, I don't know this. I mean, I guess it can't get me in trouble, but I tore a I'm playing basketball on a spring break and I go for a layup. Boom. My knee goes out. I'm like, oh, shh. I think I just tore my knee. So I knew the feeling. I definitely knew I tore my meniscus playing basketball on a spring break. So now I'm nervous because I'm young. I'm probably a sophomore. I'm going to go back to campus. I'm thinking, I don't know if Maryland's going to pay for my surgery if they find out that I tore it playing basketball like on spring break. So my roommate at the time, I'm like, yo, we got to go out and pretend we're doing one-on-ones and then I'm going to come in and be hurt. So we like conjured up this whole idea that we're going to go out, we're going to go to one-on-ones. Hey, we're going out to practice. We're going out to practice. And I go out to practice. And then I come in like 30 minutes later. I'm like, ah, my knee, my knee's hurt. <laughs> so I got 
you know, had the doctors check me out there. They're like, yeah, you, you need to go have surgery. So I went and have surgery on a knee that I tore in the spring break that I was nervous I would lose my scholarship for because I was young. You just didn't know. Now, I'm right. it didn't happen that way. But the only injuries I had on the field, I want to say they weren't until the CFL. I had I dislocated my shoulder in the CFL on a kick return in Montreal. And then I broke my collarbone on another kick return in Saskatchewan in the CFL. The other ones, all in Maryland, were all practice related. And that gave me a lot of hours in the training room. Did anyone ever find out that that's how you tore your knee up? Playing I don't basketball? think so. I mean, no? No, I don't think so. I mean, my roommate was my road dogs, Dominique Foxworth. So I'm sure you guys know his name. We, I mean, we're, we're thick as thieves and he was tight. I, I came back from spring break. I said, look, dude, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I, I know I can't walk or I know I can't run. I know I tore my knee doing something. We need to figure out a way to make sure that the school pays for the surgery and I don't get in trouble. And so we just, we went, we just, he's like, I mean, he's my boy. He was like, yeah, I got you. Let's just, let's just go out and pretend we're doing one-on-ones. And we went out and did it, <laughs> came back in and then it, it worked out. You need a new meniscus surgeon, man. That's crazy yeah. too. Four. One after the other. So it was like, I never got a chance to rebuild. So I would tear my right one. And then before I got a chance to recover, back I would tear the left and then I now I can't even recover that one and the right then I would tear the right one again then I tore the left one again I mean my senior year I wasn't practicing on Mondays I was getting my knees drained once every two weeks because they were just swelling up because I I was like bone on bone I don't have the cartilage in there anymore knees are rough man I went for four three five to I don't even know man not a four three five you definitely left uh, it all kind of in College Park, but we know that you played a little bit after. So can you take us through kind of your career uh, after the University of Maryland and where that kind of took you on the football side? Yeah, so after I just, I went to Washington and their free agent camp. And that was a whirlwind of emotions, man. Because I was, I was dominating in that camp. What I didn't know is that my agent told me afterwards they took, took x-rays of my knees when I'm coming into camp, right? Because they knew of my surgeries. They knew of my history medically. So they had already failed me on a physical, but they still let me go out there and play for like the three or four days in camp. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing fantastic. I'm the only one. I'm the only receiver. It was an offense similar to what we ran in Maryland. So I'm the only receiver that knows the X, the Y the H, the Z, I know all the positions. So I'm running all the positions. I'm having a blast. I'm like, it's me and Jason Campbell. We're linking up. It's fantastic. I'm calling my mom like, hey, mom, I think I'm going to make the team, you know, kind of deal. Then my agent calls me on the left-hand side and says, hey, dude, they failed you on a physical day one. You didn't even have a chance to make the team. I was like, what? But they let me go out there and practice for all those days. So anyway, that's the cutthroat part of that. So then my age is like, we need to go to the CFL because no NFL team is going to probably sign your sign off on you medically. So you need to go to the CFL. So I was like, cool, let's go to CFL. So how the CFL works is a team owns your rights. It's not a draft or it's not 
a free agent period, you don't get to choose. If you elect to go to the CFL, there's a team already that owns you. And Hamilton Tiger Cats was a team that owned me. So once I said to my agent, yeah, let's go to the CFL, then you just you go to the Hamilton Tiger Cats because they own you. And then you got to go make the team there. Most stressful two and a half weeks of my life was the camp in Hamilton because of the reason that in the CFL, they have to have or maintain a 51% Canadian roster. So you don't know who you're competing against because you don't know how the team needs to break down the roster. So you could be the best American receiver in camp, but if they need these two American middle linebackers more than they need you, then they make the team and you don't make the team. So it was so stressful because you're not staring at your competition. You're dominating or you're doing whatever you're doing at receiver. And you're like, yeah, I'm having a great time here. But if four other American D linemen get hurt or offensive linemen get hurt and they need to sign more Americans, then they're like, sorry, Suter, we need, we need these other linebackers. So that was it. Anyway, I made the team. And it was awesome. And then the first game of the season, I already mentioned, first game of the season, I'm the starting kick returner in Montreal, dislocate my shoulder on the first or second kickoff. I'm out. So now I'm out eight weeks, dislocated shoulder, go through the rehab, come back week eight in Saskatchewan, kickoff return, break my collarbone. Now I'm done for the season. So the boy's body just was falling apart. So I'm done for that season. Come back the next season. They failed me on a physical just to like get suited up. And then that was me saying, all right, I'm done. I've had six, seven surgeries. Body's falling apart. And it still haunts me. Matter. Unbelievable. Ruining the career, man. That's crazy. Right? Just keep me healthy, man. I'm still playing. I'm probably still playing if I'm healthy. And you, you outtaken Devin Hester at that point. <laughs> oh, yeah, right? That would be Hester. That would have been great company. He's fantastic. So you talk about, like, um, failing on the physicals. Do you, do you think, like, it should matter? Like, if, if a player is able to, like, perform, like you said in the, in the camp um, in Washington, you're able to perform it, they failed you on the physical. Do you think that if – they see that you're not able to compete, but you're like able to do it on the field. What are your feelings on that? I, that's a good question, man. I was trying to say anything to my agent. I was like talking to him saying, why can't we just sign a waiver? Okay. Yes. I have pre-existing conditions to arthritis. I struck the structure of my knee is not compromised, but yeah, I get it. I don't have the cartilage and I will have, maybe arthritis down the road. So I'm thinking business-wise from the league standpoint, maybe they're thinking that I would sue them in the end if I made the team and then had another injury and maybe they didn't, maybe they should have known about it. I don't know. So, I, I mean, I'm sure there's a dollar and cents play for the 
the league for sure or the teams in general and they why take a flyer on a you know an undrafted free agent at that point that has bad knees when they don't have to so i get that aspect of it but then i also think if i'm willing to sign a waiver i don't even know if there is one but just i mean give me a shot what's the what's the big deal if i was the best in the camp use me up for two years if my knees blow out then they blow out okay we had me for two years and hopefully i helped your team win and then we part our ways so that part was frustrating and that's i mean this is a real big tangent i'm going on here but this is similar to like how they washington i in my opinion ruined rg3 i just don't understand why you didn't just go all in on his skill set let it ride you get three years out of him and he go to the playoff and maybe an, AC, an NFC championship game. Great. And then he blows his knee out. Okay. Well, that three years is going to pay for whatever the salary is that you paid him. If you guys are competing in the playoff, instead of trying to change him and then you got nothing for it, he got nothing for it. So I don't know. There, there's, it's a medical and it's definitely financially driven. I just don't know the, the numbers. But yes, I don't like it. <laughs> Am I still bitter? Maybe, maybe I'm still bitter about it. You want to take us through your um, infamous Gator Bowl return? Sure, dude. Gator Bowl return is crazy, only because, and if you've seen that clip on YouTube, like I would say, athletically, wasn't my best. I. I honestly, I have a torn meniscus during the game. I tore my meniscus maybe second week of the season, and I played the whole year with the torn meniscus, and I and I got surgery right after that bowl game. So I'm not at peak performance. I'm not running a four four there. I'm not doing normal suitor things in returns. So so as far as a return goes, it wasn't that special to me. I didn't like break 10 tackles or do anything crazy, but the bet there's two things that stick out of him in my, one is my father had a brain tumor at the time and he couldn't come to the game. They, the doctor said he couldn't fly. So one of the very few games, maybe two games that my mother and father didn't attend because of that reason. So I had, like dad written on my wristband and I'm doing anything that I can hopefully make a play and, you know, have some FaceTime on the camera for my father to just say, I'm thinking about him kind of deal. So that was, that, that was one, that was why it was very important to me. Number two was, and I said in the video, I've never, I never said a return was going to the crib before. Never. Cause you just don't say it just, it would be stupid to tell your teammate, hey, this is going to the house because it's probably not every time. But for whatever reason, man, I had the vibe. I was feeling it and I was on my knee. I usually would walk down to where I thought, let's say it was third down and whatever. And I, I would count off the yards and I would go put my knee. I would go kneel down where I was going to try it out on the field to catch the punt based off the punter's average punting. And I, Bruce Perry was right next to me. And I just said, dude, Bruce, this is going to the crib. I don't know why. Just had a feeling. I said, this is going to the crib. <laughs> sure enough, went out there and we took it to the house. And that's the only time I've ever said it. And it happened. 
And Bruce and I have a great memory because of that. We always talk about it when we see each other and laugh about it. But it was just a special moment for those two reasons. And I hate West Virginia. So that was my third one. Of all the teams, like everybody asks to like go to the Big Ten, ACC, blah, blah, blah. What do you care about? Uh, I don't care about none of it. I want to play West Virginia every year. And that's the only team. I don't care who the other 10 games are against. I want West Virginia every year and to beat the out of them. That's it. Well, Steve, uh, any, any go ahead. Sorry. That was a great story to um, wrap up the podcast on. Uh, we got like less than a minute left. Um, so thank you. Those are some amazing stories. And um, if you, we're going to catch you for the um, NC State game on color comments here. No doubt. So. Riveting, anal- riveting analysis when Mike Loxley gets a mail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anytime, boys. Thanks for having me. Thank man. you. What an interview to end the semester of episodes here, guys. Steve Suter gave us uh, gave us a lot to talk about, um, but we'll let what he said speak for itself. Uh, you know, one thing we didn't really get too much into, we talked about it right at the end, uh, it was the Gator Bowl. And uh, it's bowl season, so we can talk a little bit about that for Maryland. The one thing, though, is the contrast that I noticed. Uh, Steve Suter played in that 2004 Gator Bowl, put his body on the line, was injured, returning kicks, and now we see just the opposite. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, so we've seen a lot today that bowl games, a lot of superstar players, high-level players at these uh, these top schools tend to pull out of bowl games. Most of the time they're uh, preparing for the NFL draft or just sitting out in case of injury. And I thought it was really interesting that Steve was uh, he was sharing his opinion on that. Where he was like, yeah, I really want to You just try to play as much as you can, but nowadays it's totally different where guys definitely want to avoid those injuries. Yeah, for sure. And I think something that goes into that, too, is Steve was a guy who was kind of on the bubble in terms of the NFL. Like he talked about how, you know, it was going to come down to special teams for him in terms of making the league. And I think a lot of times now you see guys who are, you know, there's so many mock drafts and guys are so like they're they're in the know of where they're going to go in the draft. So they're better able to understand what type of game this bowl game will do for them. And for guys who are in the first, second, third round, it's not worth it necessarily to raise their stock by playing in a game that, you know, is in in point not meaningless, but in a way it's not as meaningful as the regular season because you're not striving to, to really, like, win a championship. It's more, you know, winning a game that you're going to get a meaningless corporate sponsorship trophy for. And Steve had that injury history. He talked about how he tore both meniscuses twice, and yet, I mean – he could have torn it again in that game, and he he played. He put on a show. He had that amazing touchdown. Yeah, I mean, he had that true hatred for West Virginia, and he and he let it show on the pitch. The uh, pitch, I think. Know. I think Steve just just loved the game. I think he just loved what he's doing, what he did as a, and I think he just embraced his role as that special teams guy, where it's like, this is how I'm going to contribute to my team. Like, yeah, I'll catch a couple balls. I'll do what I can on offense, but. Here's where I'm going to make my bread and butter. I'm going to be that special teams guy. I'm going to be that pain in the ass for those other teams. You're going to have to kick it away from me. It just puts those other teams in an uncomfortable spot. And he did that when he never fair caught a ball, which is a very interesting stat. I mean, that's just... Not really trackable. Very cool stat. Yeah. So we got uh, Maryland's playing NC State and the Dukes Mayor Bowl, which is one of the bowl games that actually does tend to get a little bit more notoriety just because it's kind of the quirks of the... The mayonnaise. So, uh, just quick, quick takes on the that game. 
I think you got to look at, I think a big part of this game is going to be who's going to be playing quarterback for NC State. Uh, Mid-season, their starter, Devin Leary, he tore his pec, so he was out. He's not going to be pl- playing this game. But then they had two guys come in um, late in the season. They had MJ Morris, and then they had uh, Ben Finney play the final games for them. MJ Morris put on a show. He played pretty well, and he's expected to be the starter next year with uh, Devin Lear entering the transfer portal. But we don't know if he's going to be um, playing this game. Uh, he got hurt against Boston College, I believe. And um, Ben Finney finished those final two games for them, going 2-0. Um, his accuracy, not as much there as it is with Morris. So I think it's going to be interesting to see which one of them play um, for the Wolfpack. Obviously, we're hoping, I mean, as Terps fans, that Finney would be playing for them. But if MJ Morris comes in, uh, that Terps defense might have to step up. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, you look at this game and you see a Maryland team that's um, offensively a little depleted. You know, you got guys like Dante Dimas, Jacob Copeland all sitting out. We don't really know about Rakim Jarrett, but one would assume he's probably not going to play. Um, so it's going to come down to the defense and, and guys stepping up. Jay Sean Barnum having a great freshman year. What can you do in terms of that, you know, middle of the defense and, and how you're able to hold it down against a pretty electric NC State offense, at least in the ACC play. Um, so I think that's a really interesting one to watch. I think the real winner of this uh, bowl game will be whoever gets to dump mayonnaise <laughs> on their head coach. I would love to see Loxley just covered in egg whites and uh, vinegar. Our very own um, Kevin McNulty was the one who asked that question on the press conference. He asked Loxley if he'd be able to take the, the bath if they won. Wow, I think, I think you have to. Yeah, he said he would. So I mean, yeah. that'll be it'll be an interesting one. Bowl season for the Terps, chance to finish with their best record in the Mike's Loxley era. So that's a that's a huge step for a program, and and we talk about another program who's stepping up, guys. The wrestling team. For yeah, sure. the the big thing I saw in the rankings this week uh, ranked as high as 16th in some polls, but um, one of the biggest things is Maryland is ranked ahead of four Big Ten teams right now, just in the rankings, um, and and most likely more depending on where the other teams that. Are. We're not ranked fall, but even within the rankings, Maryland ranked ahead of four teams, something you do not see very often for Maryland wrestling, uh, ranked the highest they've been in 10 years. And so program's absolutely on the right track. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, remember we talked to uh, Clemson last week. He talked yep. about building that new culture and kind of like getting those athletes in check, prioritizing schoolwork, um, what they're doing when they're not on the wrestling mat, and making sure they're focused, you know? And I thought that was very interesting to hear from him. Yeah, Clemson seems to be uh, really – succeeding and instilling his uh his will and his philosophy with the guys you know just looking back last week the uh story with cal miller where he made him sit Mm -hmm. out from practice and really uh change his mindset and helped him i feel like that's kind of the thing where you have to go through it to understand why a coach is doing that because yeah some days you're going to want to skip practice i mean you're going to want to like skip class maybe you're just like i'll just i'll turn this assignment in late i'll take like a couple points off in this class but uh, Clemson just I think he really just wants to besides on the mat and like uh, building a good wrestling program I think he really wants to just create and like build character and like produce good young men Cavett how did that open practice go for you last week I um, did not attend actually I was watching the USA lose to the Netherlands sadly in the World Cup so but I mean Cav, you make a very strong point there the way you carry yourself off the mat it's going to translate Right. If you're, oh yeah, exactly. If you're not taking care of yourself, like physically, or you know, doing what your schoolwork, you said you're going to be stressed out. You're going to be thinking about other stuff. And if you can't turn that assignment on time, then you couldn't wrestle. Yeah, he just wants. He just wants these guys to have organized lives, especially in season. Exactly. And so, uh, looking forward to Navy. Um, 
upcoming weekend match. Uh, last year, Maryland defeated Navy 18-16, to so Maryland looking to stay undefeated this year. Um, looking a little bit um, at the rankings, it should be, uh, Navy's not ranked right now, but I, I'm pretty sure, um, just looking at some of the Maryland rankings, some of the Navy ranks, it's, it's going to be a pretty good matchup. Might come down to Jaron Smith once again, um, going to be a 20th rank for 18th rank matchup. So, you know, Maryland fans would hope they'd have it um, put away by then, and I think there's a good chance that is, but if Navy hangs around, we could get to see Jaron close it out. Yeah, Jaron's been that guy. He's been the guy to uh, anchor the squad at the uh, at the end of those meets, and he's just he's just been putting in work, match in, match out. You know, he's been just racking up the points, putting five, six points on the board for his team. So he's definitely got a large role to play in this one. And then looking forward, a uh, little bit of a special announcement. Uh, February 17th, for those who will be in College Park, uh, Beauty and the Beast Wrestling uh, and Gymnastics will be at the same time in Xfinity Center. So she's a great name. I love yeah, that. I, I was thinking about that. Beast? It's a really wow. good name. All right, let's throw it over to women's basketball. Sam, what do we got? Yeah, Brendan, this team has been um, really defined, as I put it, by peaks and valleys. I mean, when you look at um, them, they they come on the road, they beat Notre Dame, and they come back and lose to a cellar-dweller Big Ten team in Nebraska who shot 48% from three, um, really exposing the 207th-ranked perimeter defense in in terms of Maryland. 270th, or 270th, yeah. And, and I think that that's, like, that's something that's really been stunning to watch and stunning for the players even. Faith Masoni has put in, in an availability that – they just came in the locker room and like, guys, how can we go on the road and beat the seventh-ranked team in the country and then lose at home to Nebraska? It's it's something that it, it isn't really acceptable in terms of that type of performance when you're looking at from a player or a coach's perspective. And I think it really shows, Brendan, kind of the talent that Maryland has. And you got probably a top-three draft pick in Diamond Miller's getting a ton of recognition. But you also have uh, inconsistencies with transfers, lack of really elite guard play, um, these are things that I think um, are going to continue to plague them if they can't figure it out. Yeah, it's frustrating, like we've said all year. When you bring in that many new faces, you're going to have the high moments. If everybody's clicking, everybody's playing to their best ability, you're going to be able to get upsets. You're going to be able to beat you know, Notre Dame. But on the flip side, as soon as one thing goes wrong, nobody knows where to look because they've never, as a collective team, faced diversity. And so I think it's going to be a very interesting season going forward for the women's basketball team. If they can get that coherence together, they're an elite team if that happens, I think. Yeah, they just got the talent. They build, have the talent. that chemistry. I think as the season goes on, they'll be able to like gel together more. Right now, they're just a little bit uh, inconsistent and inexperienced with playing with each other. So and I did, think it's ex- there's no- some exciting times ahead, definitely. Yeah, and the, and the Notre Dame win does more for the team than the Nebraska loss. Yeah, and I mean, Notre Dame's a yeah. great team because they also beat UConn, who comes to town for Maryland on, on Sunday. Expect to be a pretty packed crowd at Xfinity Center, people say. Blackout. Uh, yeah, blackout. Um, Just like we had last night on campus. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, a little side note. Uh, Power went out. College mm-hmm. Park campus just went out last night. Yeah. Um, and Absolute turmoil. It was wild. And some Somebody else who's... Uh, shoots it shoots the lights out as UConn they shoot it from 43% from deep which is going to be a a real issue for Maryland considering yeah you said 270th ranked yeah I mean it's not the matchup you want and when you shoot 43% from like UConn you have elite shooters like Luce and HL Lopez um, who shoots at a really high clip I think that it's really going to stress the Maryland defense in a lot of ways problem is for UConn is ZZ Fudge who was pretty in terms of the clear front runner of winning her or Leah Boston winning the, the best player in college basketball, she's out. She's out for two to three weeks, so she won't be able to come to town, which kind of selfishly sucks because I won't be able to see Paige uh, Buchers or ZZ Fudge, who are two of the more high-profile names in, in women's basketball. 
Um, but they lost 74-60 to to Notre Dame, as we said. Um, so I think it'll be a really interesting game to watch. I think both offenses are going to have a pretty easy time scoring the ball. And it really just comes down to, I think, if Diamond Miller can dominate her matchup against Aaliyah Edwards. She stepped up in these big games where scouts are there. Baylor, Notre Dame, both had 25-plus points hit the game winner against Notre Dame. So if she plays to her potential as she has been, and, and Maryland's able to not guard the three ball but limit it, I think they have a pretty good chance. And, you know, that's and that's kind of a, a story of the season, right, is you guard the three ball, you generally are able to, you know, win games because and, and, they have an offense who can do it. Um, and and it'll, be, it'll be pretty interesting to watch. And the team who does guard the three ball well, next Maryland basketball opponent for the men's side. Yeah, Tennessee, they are a very good defensive team. They allowed the third least points in the nation. But on the flip side, they cannot shoot the three ball that well. They only average 33.2% from distance. So I think the three ball is going to become key for the Terps this game. If they can shoot it well against that great defense and you know they can defend that three ball well against a team who can't really shoot it that well, they'll keep the game closer and maybe have a chance to pull it through at the end. Yeah, yeah. and we've seen... Uh just Maryland from the arc it's uh they've been shooting the ball well they have uh Don Carey actually interesting uh, fact about this is that at home he's shooting somewhere around somewhere in the 10 to 20 percent range from three but on the road he's I believe it's somewhere closer to the 50 percent range so like he, that should never happen that is I don't maybe the just the Xfinity rims are not his friend we can talk about rims all we want the you know Wisconsin game that was fascinating the <laughs> the Milwaukee, Milwaukee Bucks. Bucks mascot <laughs> Maybe a little bit of fixing games there. No, jo- I mean, joking. But that was, you know, Maryland, like you said, just uh, three ball uh, and just shooting in general. When it's hot, it's hot. But when they're not knocking down shots, it's it's like the scoring. Um, it's hard to look for somebody who's, like, going to be the complete backbone because it's been a little bit spread out. And so in thing, big games, you don't know. The thing is, though, that we all talk about the three ball, and that's such a high variable thing, right? You can A team can guard it well, and you can still shoot extremely well. It's not something that you can really, you know, you can be a good shooting team, but it's going to come and go. You know, you're going to have off shooting nights. And this Tennessee team will challenge it, guys. I mean, they have such elite length. Um, Josiah Jordan James is one of the best defenders in the country. Zakai Ziegler at the point of attack doesn't have great length. He's really small, actually, but he's so quick and is able to get teams off their sets, which I think is something that Maryland, you know, I think he could give some Jameer Young some trouble just exploiting maybe a little bit about that pick and roll that they love to run. Um, and then you got guys along the wing. Santiago Vescovi is a really smart team defender. Um, Rick Barnes just runs a really cool defensive scheme. They make sure to, you know, they're more of a no-help type of team. They're going to stay in front of their guys and, and not help off shooters, and I think that's what limits the perimeter shots in terms of Maryland. Um, so I think that that is going to be a key issue, and Tennessee has their um, weaknesses, right? If you're, you're, you're going to give up three-pointers, that's how they lost to Colorado, who's one of the worst Power 5 teams, but then you beat Kansas. So I think this game, it really just comes down to can they shoot it, like Mike talked about, Tennessee, and what does Maryland do on the wings? Because that's where the most of their scoring has come from. The Donta Scotts, the Keem Hearts, Ian Martinez had a good start to the year. How are they able to match up with Tennessee's elite length, I think? And then one last key is turnovers. I mean, watching that Wisconsin game, looking at the stat sheet afterwards, they're mostly even with the Badgers. The one thing that went wrong for them was turnovers. They led 14-8 in turnovers against the Badgers. And Wisconsin doesn't turn you over, which mm-hmm. is a problem. So that was just a, the the key factor in that game why they lost it was mostly even i think fouls as well what they had the bonus for wisconsin had the bonus for the last 
nine or so minutes of the second half. So it's just they just took some rather stupid fouls. I think uh, Juju Reese got a little bit unlucky. He got some unfavorable calls, but you got to just clean it up. You can't be, can't be playing sloppy defense like that. You got to know, stay in front of your man, break down, and just play team defense. And then the next game they're going to be playing is against UCLA at home in College Park. Sam, you want to kind of preview that a little bit? Yeah, UCLA coming in at 7th on Ken Palm. Um, biggest thing with them is they're a veteran team, really, at the point guard spot. Tiger Campbell, they don't turn the ball over. Uh, Mick Cronin's teams are generally known for that. They don't do it. Maryland's going to have to be able to generate offense in the half court because they will not be able to get out and run in transition. And this game is fascinating, guys, because Maryland, we, we talk about it a lot. The wings are really what do, do the – the punch of scoring. Jameer Young's had a good start, but their real talent is on the wings. UCLA's probably got the best wing duo in the country. Jaime Jaquez and Jalen Clark, um, 17 points a game for Jaime Jaquez, really just operates. He's got a beautiful game in the mid-range. I think it's kind of why he hasn't gone to the league yet, is his perimeter shot isn't great, only shoots at like 28% clip from three. But his ability to get downhill, finish with his left and right, and then his pull-up game is just chef's kiss. It's gorgeous in terms of how he's able to get to the elbow, make shots, be able to create out of the high post. I think that's something that's super exciting to watch as a, you know, just a basketball fan. And then Jalen Clark, guys, really kind of popped onto the scene this year, having a great year, averaging around 14 a game. And then you got great bench op- options. Amari Bailey, who's a stud freshman out of Sierra Canyon, and Dave Singleton are both really good shooters. Bailey is a super, super athlete. Um, kind of reminds me a little bit of Terrence Shannon, who gave Maryland some trouble. So I think that that's going to be a real, real, real issue for Maryland in terms of matching up with those guys. Yeah, I mean, this has been the game, the marquee game that Maryland fans have circled uh, on their calendars. It's uh, during finals week, get a little break, Xfinity Center, going to be going crazy. You know, game was sold out two weeks in advance. So. Going to have to get there a little earlier this time. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, so. and, and I think that it's going to – it should fuel them in terms of that type of atmosphere. And, and guys, it's a huge one for Juju Reese, too. We talked about it all year. The thing we, we know about UCLA, great wings, great point guard. The bigs aren't really where um, that rest of the team is. They're starting a freshman, Adam Bona, who really is just kind of, you know, that lob threat doesn't really do much on offense. If Reese can get get his a little bit, I think it puts so much more pressure on the rest of the UCLA team to then have to overhelp. Then you can find shooters, that type of thing, like they didn't, you know, in, in terms of the early season games. He dominated. You have to draw help, kick out. You got Carey, Hakeem Hart, Dante Scott. These are all the players that benefit off of Juju Reese's activity down low. Terps fans, if you're listening to this, I mean, you show up because you heard Willard. One of the first things he said after the Illinois game was that the fans played a huge factor into that. I mean, you could hear it. It was it was loud. It was, it was sold out. Environment was electric. It was yeah. one. Yeah, all the stars are out. SVP, Francis Tiafo, even Locks was in, in attendance. Definitely. I mean, it's going to be a huge game. What do you guys think in terms of this type of three-game stretch? They've already lost one. What do you think in terms of, you know, if you can get one, how big is that for this team? Yeah, it's a great question, Sam. I, I'd written down, uh, if Maryland can win one of these games, that's a huge positive. I would say so as well. I but mean, you definitely, you can't get blown out in either of them. You, you, have, to, you have to keep Absolutely. them close. If you're going to lose, you have to keep it close. Obviously, we would prefer to win both of these games and I think it's definitely possible we've seen Maryland play at a very high level this year but it's just you you must win at least one of these games personal opinion I think Tennessee blows them out and I think they respond to beat UCLA that's just my my feel for it I think Tennessee's a horrible matchup with their length and ability to guard on the wings and then I think UCLA I just think at home like you guys talked about electric atmosphere 
I think the matchup is much more favorable in terms of how they play, so I would expect a win. I think, in that one. I think the uh, mayor of College Park, Kevin Willard, is going to have to cook something up <laughs> real special. Yeah, how accurate do you think the 13th ranking is? Like, like end of season, do we think we look back and be like, yeah, maybe they were higher or lower? Like, do you think it's going to peak here? Or I think Maryland peaks here? Uh, yeah, I think so. I just think like it's so hard to go this the big 10 is a gauntlet right and and they just like unless they win these two they're not going to have a ton of like power to their resume because they didn't beat a marquee opponent in the non-conference they had solid wins but none Mm -hmm. that were like oh this is a win over gonzaga or two so i think 12 13 i think they'll be ranked for a decent amount throughout the year but i think that's probably where they peak if i had to guess when i look at the big 10 i look at issues they're going to have down the road against big men you look at michigan you have hunter dickinson who's going to be able to match up with him julian Zach reese Eady. is that exactly been gross like, this year there are some big men in this conference that are going to pose to turf some some problems yeah i mean it's just an exciting time though mm-hmm. for for, for Terps basketball, absolutely. For sure. Yeah, I uh, I actually I disagree with Sam. I think I think Maryland's coming up. I think Maryland's going to end in the top ten. I I'm convinced. Maybe I'm a little biased, being a student at the University of Maryland. Obviously, I want the best, but we've like they've put in some dominant performances. They've smoked early on the rankings. We saw St. Louis. We had a. I was convinced after that win over Illinois. I think Wisconsin, they put in a great performance. They just got a little bit unlucky. That's a tough environment. Low loss, yeah. It's, they, didn't, they didn't necessarily play. Well, they definitely didn't play didn't as well. Play, they, they didn't, didn't play, good, they didn't play they still were close. I agree. I yeah, agree. they didn't play a, their also, game, and they still lost within, what was it? It was They lost by five. Yeah, I no, I mean, it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a close game down the stretch, Kevin. I agree. I, I, just, I, I see them in that, like, 10 to 20 range rather than mm-hmm. the top 10 team that would it take you know what i mean so i think it's a healthy debate in terms of yeah. where they finish yeah. we'll have to see only what happens time in the court and uh rankings mean nothing so um all right the only thing that matters march gotta go dancing absolutely all right let's go let's go into some picks here some final rankings picks. that do matter or are oh, these picks these rankings standing? absolutely do matter so in first up place chair. i'm still at the top 15 and 11 Next two spots are pretty close. Cabot, 13, 12, and 1, and then Brendan, 13, and 13. That that push right there for Cabot. So does that mean somebody's much. worse than 500? Oh, God. Sam at 12 and 4. 12, 12 and 14. 12 and 14, yes. Don't want to give him too much credit. <laughs> um, so give us the stakes here. Final picks. What we got, Mike? So since this is going to be the last time we do college football picks, we're going to do six picks this week. Um, this is make or break. I think that we're going to – so after this, we're going to have a winner for college football, and then we're going to have a winner for college basketball. Yeah. Sounds, yeah. yeah. Right. I like that. All right. So this is the make or break uh, week with six picks, and I'm going to start it off. Uh, we're not going to do analysis since it's so many picks. Um, I'm going to do Cincinnati, minus one and a half versus Louisville. Michigan, minus nine and a half versus TCU. Georgia, minus six and a half versus Ohio State. Utah, plus one and a half versus Penn State. Wisconsin, plus two and a half versus Oklahoma State. And Alabama, minus four and a half versus Kansas State. Solid. Uh, I couldn't pick UMass this week, so I picked the Fenway Bowl. Um, Louisville, plus one and a half. Uh, lost their coach playing against Cincinnati. I think they're just going to be fired up. Uh, Myrtle Beach Bowl, UConn plus nine and a half. Haven't seen a bowl game in a while. Also think they're going to be fired up. Um, Barstool, Arizona Bowl, Wyoming plus two and a half. Citrus Bowl, LSU minus six and a half. Rose Bowl, Utah plus one and a half. Orange Bowl, Tennessee plus four and a half. Over to you, Sam. 
Yeah, funny that there's a barstool bowl for sure. I mean, it's it's pretty hilarious how far we've come in terms of corporations. Um, you got to respect getting the name out there. Oh, definitely. Wyoming is a team, definitely. So we'll see. I'm going to start with the team that is close to all of our listeners' hearts, and that's Maryland minus two and a half versus NC State. Uh, I got Oregon minus nine and a half versus North Carolina. Um, South Carolina plus four and a half versus Notre Dame. Wake Forest minus one and a half versus Mizzou. Ole Miss minus three and a half versus Texas Tech. And LSU minus six and a half versus Purdue. Um, it's hard to tell with bowl games, guys. Like, guys are always injured. Um, They're total coin flips. Yeah. But, I mean, it'll it's going to be an interesting, interesting slate. And I think that uh, this week it'll breed champions for sure, I think, in terms of what we're looking at in terms of uh, – terms of teams who step up versus teams who might just kind of coast through and have a nice holiday weekend all right guys so uh i have some some fun picks this week um you know i really just went based off the vibes and i was actually is that a new strategy have you ever done that before yeah it is believe it or not yeah it is a new strategy and you know i didn't go based off vibes of the teams Except for one of the matches, uh, like, I did like colors. What'd you do? No, Mascots. I did the name of the bowl. Ooh. Oh, I love that. I did the name of the, which I honestly forgot at this point. I didn't write down. But um, first game, uh, whatever bowl name this is, I took SMU minus two and a half versus BYU. Second game, Boise State plus seven and a half versus North Texas. Oh, here's the music. Minecraft music. All right, that's enough of that. <laughs> and then we Jesus got next game: San Jose State minus four and a half versus Eastern Michigan. And then next game: Marshall minus nine and a half versus UConn. And then Rice plus five and a half versus Southern Mississippi. Oh, I just love that pick, Kevin. Yeah, that's I mean, great. Rice it feeds the world. It's just you can't live without it, pretty much. Um, and then last game. This is the one that I went... Well, actually, I guess the Rice one was also kind of based off the name of the team, but this one, really. I mean, this might be the best mascot in all of college football. Give it to us. The Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns plus three and a half over Houston. Come on. Give it to me. Yeah. Give, it, give it to him. Give it to me. Give me Give me the lead. I'm Mike, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Mike, what are we doing in case of a tie? We do pick a tiebreaker game? I mean, we can do the college f- uh, football national championship right there. Pick yeah, the championship the winner. Pick the, there's a pick the champion winner. Yeah. All right. um, or we could do Georgia. the uh, – hey, if there's a tie, it would be the championship. Yeah. That sounds good to All me. Right. But All you right. can't pick the same as the other person, obviously. Oh. We'll pick it We'll pick it when the time comes. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm going to go 6-0 so it won't matter. I'm pretty confident that I'll go 6-0 too. Yeah, I mean, you control your own destiny, so right. go 6-0 and you'll be okay. Now we're moving on to one of our final segments. Make us terrific, please. Make it terrific. It's a terrific Terrapin of the week. Let me take you back to a cold winter day in College Park in 1982. Are you Jack Frost? <laughs> Fans flock into the old Cole Fieldhouse to see the Terps take on number three-ranked UCLA. The Terps only played UCLA twice before in the 70s, dropping both games. But this would be a different night for Maryland as they went on to win 80-79 to in overtime. Someone who was on that Maryland team who you guys might know is freshman Len Bias. But that night, Maryland was led by the duo of Ben Coleman, who scored 27 points, and our terrific Terp this week, Adrian Branch, who tra- dropped 26. 
Branch grew up in the DMV area attending the Matha High School and winning the McDonald's All-American Game MVP before starring at the University of Maryland from 1981 to 1985. At Maryland, he would be a two-time All-ACC and led the Terps to the ACC Championship in 1984, which they lost. He's currently the fifth all-time leading scorer for Maryland with 2017 career points. He was drafted in the second round of the 1985 NBA draft and would bounce around the league, however, winning the 1987 NBA championship with the Los Angeles Lakers. You can now catch Adrian Branch on ESPN as a college basketball analyst. So that is our terrific Spent term. some time overseas as well. Really very mm-hmm. versatile. Yeah. And uh, congrats to him. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Adrian. It's a great the honor. Highest, highest honor mm-hmm. you can receive. And there's there's been a lot of cool, terrific Terps we've had over the semester. Van Rootslaar. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're coming to a close here. We're in, you know, ending the semester one, um, and we got to experience a lot of really cool Maryland sports, really cool interviews we got to sit down with. So kind of just taking a brief look back um, over the course of this pod, and, and, and really it's been awesome to – sit down with all of you guys and be able to experience some really cool guests um Kev who was your favorite interview and also give me your favorite Maryland sports play from this semester okay so favorite interview I would have to say I would pick Alex Clemson I thought Mm -hmm. it was a really interesting interview we know uh not many people knew about how college wrestling works. It's not really the most popular college sport. Non-revenue sport, so yeah. Yes, it's it's just uh, it's one of those ones that fly under the radar. It's really for the players, so I think it was very interesting to get some insight into how the team operates and then just get a close look at what was going on and to, to learn that uh, Maryland wrestling is definitely in good hands. Yeah, Clemson was a dope interview, and, and that, was, that was really cool to listen to. And give us your favorite play now. I would say... Hmm, I would have to refer to my good friend of the alphabet for this one. Hunter George, can you spell sauce? Can you spell it? S-A-U-C-E. Number seven, when he went the length of the pitch to bag one, and it was just definitely my favorite player of the year. It's just uh, just a highlight on his uh, amazing career that he's had as a Terrapin. And, yeah, that'll, that'll wrap up my uh, my semester. Great work this semester, Kev. Thank Brendan, you, you want to go? I'd love to go. Uh, favorite interview. This may uh, raise some eyebrows, but Josh Klukes. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think maybe you guys knew I was going there. Uh, I think, you know, we've had some great guests going back, um, you know, looking. People who've played uh, in Maryland Athletics, uh, people who currently work, coaches. But, you know, going into that interview, I knew absolutely nothing about the esports uh, team. Klukes gave us a great insight on his personal Fortnite story as well as uh, the Esports Team Maryland inaugural year. It was just a really cool interview to get on the podcast, and uh, I'm eternally grateful for Josh Klubes sitting down with us for those 20 minutes on that Thursday evening. Favorite play in the season. Let me take you back to a different time. August 25th, uh, first Maryland game I attended as a student. Uh, I was fortunate enough to sit beside my roommate. I didn't know anything about anything, and I especially didn't know anything about any of the Maryland soccer roster. But I saw a guy come onto the pitch, uh, Colin Griffith, and I could just, I saw it in his eyes. And I lean over to Cavett and I go, This guy's going to score. The game was tied at the time. Um, Maryland needed a goal to, to, you know, cap it off, get a big marquee win at the beginning of the season. Was that New Hampshire against? New Hampshire. It was. Very silly. Who was ranked number Very nine silly at the state. Time. Oh, just. The nines are aligning. Is the that worst, good? Is, is that, that the bad? worst New England state, would you say, as a Massachusetts native yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Really? We can do a ranking maybe yeah. once the podcast gets 
terminated once I stopped recording because this would be very boring. Yeah, Colin Griffith comes to the box, nets one. I look over at Cabot, and it was just electric. It was. We were chilling in the student section right behind the goal. Colin just taps one across the line, and just the, we just erupted. I mean, Cabot probably thought I had some crazy soccer knowledge. He I soon, thought you had some, like, He, he soon found out that I didn't know anything, really. But they then convinced me to go to the Delaware game the next day or next game, and it was kind of a the Denver game, yeah. Or Denver, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was uh, that was not as good. But that play, I remember hearing about that. And that, that that's pretty incredible that you got that. Yeah, scoring his first goal as a freshman too. Way to burst onto the scene in College Park, and Colin ended up having a heck of a year for the uh, heck of a year for the young you lad. See, you could say Brendan and Colin both burst onto the scene that night. I right? would, you, I would you could, so. you could, and you should say that. Yeah. Soon after the uh, women's football team, follow me on Twitter. Okay. Yeah, and. Mike, you're, uh, you're a field hockey reporter. Um, you had a great semester, obviously. Mm-hmm. Take us through your favorite interview and your, and your favorite play. Favorite interview, I'm probably going to have to go with the first big one we ever had, James Gist. G to the I yeah, to the S to the, the T. T. If, didn't take, if somebody didn't take Gist, I would um, have I knew Mike was going to yeah. take Gist. We got some amazing stories from him um, about playing in College Park. You know, um, The fans on Route 1 after they had a giant um, away win. Um, playing overseas, what the differences were like over there, the fans overseas, um, really interesting stuff from Gist. Um, the story about when he had the assistant coach run straight after him after he complained about a call in practice, <laughs> if you yeah, guys that remember that one. Yeah, I mean, Gist is just... Um, he's a G. Gist was amazing, and then... To the I, to the S, to the T. Yep. Favorite play? Um, I would have to go with a sequence. I'd have to say the shootout against Syracuse to go into the final four for field hockey. Um, Our very own beat writer. They were trailing that game. Man after his own sport. Trailing that game, came back. Um, nobody scored in overtime, went to the shootout, went to extra shots. Um, goalkeeper Paige Keefe came up with Got four, your money's worth there. Four consecutive saves, and then Hope Rose came up with the game-winning uh, goal in the uh, shootout. Just, just a great sequence to watch. Soon after Hope left the building but yeah or the, um, the team they lost but tough two weeks against the wildcats for them they don't have to rehash that guys yeah. right. they, had, they had a great season they, yeah, had, a, was, they had a very and that was an electric moment it, it was very exciting great um, season another goal that i would have to say that was up there was her goal against virginia uh, must have gone through like seven terps sticks before it got yeah, to her i was at that one that mm-hmm. was she, she dove forward tapped it into the goal pretty pretty cool stuff what about the van rutzelar flick I mean, Van Rooselaar had so many goals. Um, I'd have to say the it's one w- play, Mike. Come on now, Come on. Mike. How about Mike's favorite play of the year was the entire field hockey. The uh, entire field hockey. Check season. out check out his content on TSC, guys. If you want to re- relive the relive the and glory days. For last but not hockey. least, we are going to go to Mr. Sam Jane, Big yeah. J journalist. <laughs> Um, I would say my favorite interview, uh, we had a lot of really good ones and you guys, and they were all kind of unique, which was cool. I thought is that each guy had a, or a person had a different story. Um, but I, I would say almost sentimentally for me, but also just like, I thought this was a cool interview was Tyler Cronin. It was a solid. F- I almost went that too. It was the yeah. first one. Um, and it was just kind of funny sitting down, like me and Brendan, we like both kind of had to jump through some hoops to get it we didn't really know what the whole process was getting that interview SIDs. was like ids getting was, that interview was like absurdly talking to the difficult. president dude it's like but anyway tyler made it worth it because he was a really cool interview i mean talked a lot about stuff that as a baseball player i didn't even know and also just like um you know the ideas of of what it was like being a trainer and i just thought that, that was a really cool interview that we got and it really kind of set us off in terms of what type of Stories and, and podcasts set stuff, the bar high for sure. Stuff we wanted to get. Um, so Tyler was a really cool guest, and 
and it was cool sitting down for with like as our first like podcast i thought was pretty dope um and then favorite play of the semester i mean i nobody's took it but um for me it was uh well it's hard for me to choose like a football play just because you know it's you're not like in there Mm. um but i was in the stands for the basketball game when jameer young hit the shot against illinois and great pick i mean it was just an electric moment young i mean He's him. That was just an incredible was, shot. Incredible you atmosphere. You kind of uh, foreshadowed it with the previous week's terrific Terrapin. Yeah, with Cowan a little bit too. I mean, and it was just Hometown really heroes. It was my first Maryland men's basketball game, and to see like that electricity, like that I kind of craved when I came here. That's like you know not a reason I came here, but it was something that was a highlight because I never really you know growing up in Michigan with the big house. That's it's football, not really basketball, and I, so that was really cool. And then doing it with Brendan and, and my roommate, like going insane like that was just i'll remember that for a while because that was a really cool really really cool moment um yeah he had absolutely no business hitting that shot just ice the game <laughs> put a dagger yeah. in the hearts of all those illinois fans yeah but uh, i mean it all really cool interviews mm-hmm. all really cool plays and, and and i think that this it was really cool just this this pod i mean everybody out there listening thank you um we appreciate the first semester we're not going anywhere just a little brief hiatus um as we figure out uh you know, with our exams, we all got to survive mm-hmm. those first. So, uh, Cav, take one last away. thing. I think it'd be a disservice to not mention the amazing interviews with Steve Sutter, um, yeah. Scott McBrien, um, Jaron Smith. Um, just amazing stories from all of them. Um, Sutter, especially last uh, the other night before, we could have gone on for hours with him. Yeah, all interviews. We mm-hmm. appreciate it, and um, it, it was just a, it was a great it was a great couple great time to sit down with them. So, Cav. One last time, takes away for the semester. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening and tuning in to Under the Shell, presented by Terrapin Sports Central. It's been a pleasure as always. Happy holidays. Be safe and healthy. Good night.